0: Great privilege this morning to get to worship alongside each of you um, and to get to preach from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. A couple of weeks ago when Carson started us off, Carson mentioned Pink Floyd's song, Time. Uh, He also mentioned the greatest showman, It Will Never Be Enough. Larry mentioned Jimi Hendrix, Castles Made of Sand, Fall into the Sea, Eventually. Uh, and then last week, Carson mentioned Boston. So, in the everybody sing along, I hit the jackpot, right? So, let's get it out of our system, everybody together, to everything. There it is. And now we know everyone in the congregation over the age of 55. I jest, I jest the song was done by the birds it's a 1965 pop song the lyrics were literally lifted straight from ecclesiastes three verses one to eight um, to my own shame i was in high school when i learned that i had no idea that this birds song that i had listened to um, on a 45 on my parents hi-fi if none of that made sense turn to someone beside you over the age of 50 and ask them what i just said um, but that's where i knew these words from i didn't realize that they were scripture. Um, Alistair Begg, the Scottish pastor and theologian, said in 1965, God wrote a pop song. So, all right, let's leave it at that. Let's get back to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Um, I actually love Hebrew poetry um, a lot. I did my dissertation in it. I wrote hundreds and hundreds of pages on Hebrew poetry. Uh, Hebrew poetry is fascinating to me. It, it doesn't use rhyme and syllables like we do in English. Um, It essentially sets up two halves. And what it says in the first half of a verse, it says more in the second half of the verse. I know that explanation um, is a little tough with me just explaining it. So let's run to scripture and I think this will be much more clear. Let's look at the first half of Proverbs 26 verse seven like a lame man's legs, which hang useless. This would be part A, there's a second part coming. Um, But when we think about this, I'm reminded my family just recently rewatched the movie Avatar, not the second one, the first one. And a plot device in Avatar, in fact, the point of the movie early on is the main character, Jake Sully, who has a spinal cord injury and can't use his legs. He can't get off of the airplane as fast as everyone else does. Even though he's a Marine, the other Marines are mean to him. They refer to him as food for the planet. At one point he hops up onto a table and it's an amazing move by the director. The camera angle shifts so that you're looking at his legs up at the character and the doctor. She tries to help and he says, no, no, I got it. He grabs his pants leg and pulls up a useless leg and drops it on the table right in front of all of us. And so this movie that defines Jake Sully by his unusable legs, we can all identify with that and empathize with that. And so it makes, like a lame man's legs which hang useless, this is just a good example that helps us to empathize and identify with that. So let's look at the second line of this proverb. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless, part A, is a proverb in the mouth of fools, part B. So let's decode this Hebrew poetry just like a disability doesn't have to define someone, but certainly can. And there's an example of it in this movie Avatar. How much more, how much worse, Is it to have the very answer in your mouth, on the tip of your tongue, but not be able to apply it to your own life? Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb, is truth, is the answer in the mouth of a fool. This is why I love Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry says so much with so few words. Um, This is what we would call synonymous, meaning that these two lines roughly mean the same thing. They convey a similar idea. Hebrew poetry also uses opposites. Uh, And there's a famous example of this also in Proverbs chapter 26, it's verses four and five. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs is not the law. So this doesn't convey to us, thou shalt not answer a fool. Thou shalt answer a fool. As if there was a contradiction in scripture. Opposites don't mean contradictions. Opposites give us bookends. Sometimes we answer a fool according to his folly. Hey, don't ride the skateboard down the concrete stairs. Sometimes we don't answer a fool. Because it'll do no good. Wisdom calls us to know the difference. And this is what the poem in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, calls you and I to do. So point one on your outline, if you're an outline person, I sympathize with you. Point one is choose wisely. This is what the teacher calls us to do. Really quickly, before we launch into this, quick aside. Why in the world did I just say the teacher? So you've heard Carson call the author of this book Kohelet. That's the Hebrew word that's used in chapter 1, chapter 7, and chapter 12. And so what Carson's doing is he's just giving us the Hebrew word. Like if we were back in Genesis, and I said Adam and Kaya, that's Eve. That's the Hebrew word that's there. We can also translate this word, which means teacher, or in some of your English versions, preacher, or assembler, the one who assembles Proverbs or assembles wisdom. Um, And so you're going to hear me this morning use teacher, just like a couple weeks ago you heard Larry use Grandpa Q for Kohelet. Um, The question always comes up, who is this? Uh, This is a son of David, He is exceedingly rich. He loves wisdom and collects proverbs. And everybody's thinking, that sounds a lot like Solomon. And indeed, church tradition would say that the author of this book is Solomon. Um, He identifies himself as teacher. So this morning, you're going to hear me use the word teacher over and over again, uh, because that's how he self-identifies in this book. So let's look back through Ecclesiastes 1 through 8 really quick, 2 through 8 really quickly. In all of these seasons, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Everybody seeing the opposites? Y'all with me? With Ecclesiastes? Okay, just making sure. Time to cast away stones, a time to gather together, a time to embrace and to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, And a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Many Old Testament commentaries on Ecclesiastes, and no doubt some of us here together this morning, when we read these verses, we see in them God's sovereignty. That God sovereignly rules over all the times and seasons. Some of us, and even some Old Testament commentaries, view this somewhat cynically. Almost like there's determinism or fatalism in these verses. That God's directed all these things, and yes, there's war in the world, but there's also some good times. So just kind of rejoice in the good time. The rest of it's just sort of true. Meh. Meh. What I would encourage you is the same thing that Carson's encouraged us from week one is maybe, maybe dial back the cynicism just a little bit. I would point to the text of Ecclesiastes and I would say, notice that in verse two, a time to be born and a time to die. That's really the only activity in this entire poem that you and I don't have control over. We don't pick when we're born. We don't pick when we die. But everything else in this poem is human activity. It's exactly what you and I do every day as we live out our life. And there is a time and season for all of these activities for you and I to do. So what does this look like? Wisdom when it's presented to us in the Bible in books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, we would also include the book of Job in there, often looks at nature. God's good created order for the world. And it says, if we live in accordance with the way God has created and ordered the world, that is wise. But if we go against that, If we shake our fist in God's face and say, I did it my way, and we pay no attention to the times and the seasons, that is unwise. Let's see this in a proverb Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. You see the author of the proverbs not merely saying to us, "Hey, look at the ants out in the front yard and be like the ants. Be like creation." What the proverb is saying is behind this proverb there is an ordered and created universe by God. There's a time to prepare food. She prepares her bread in summer. And there's a time to gather that food and eat it. Live according to that pattern. And that's wise. This looks a lot like Ecclesiastes 3 2, does it not? There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Here in North Carolina, strawberry season usually comes in in May, it goes through early summer. No doubt if you check social media, multiple families here at North Wake have all gone strawberry picking. They've posted pictures of it. We did this as a fun family activity. You can see it every year. So let's pretend for a second that North Wake gets this crazy idea that we're gonna start a strawberry farm. So we go and we tear up the parking lot, we haul in good dirt, we till it, we prepare it, and we plant strawberries right now. What's gonna happen? We're not gonna get any strawberries. And you say, well, why not? May is a perfectly good time to plant. Nope, not for strawberries, not in North Carolina. May is the time to harvest. If we plant them, they won't come in. They will freeze and die this coming winter when we would expect them to come in. The author of Ecclesiastes calls us to recognize the times and seasons and to choose wisely. Let's look at another example of this in this uh, opening poem. Let's jump down to verse 7. In verse 7, it says, There's a time to tear and a time to sew, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. We all have that one friend. Y'all know this friend. This is the friend that's always like, look, somebody needs to say it and I'm going to say it. We've all been that guy. You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> on social media, there is a particular quote. I'm going to say it, it needs to be said. And it goes like this. I say the quiet parts out loud. In fact, that quote, I say the quiet parts out loud, is so used on social media that it now has a definition. If you Google this, it has been defined. This expression means that one publicly expresses a sentiment that one is expected to keep to themselves. Here's the funny thing about that quote. It comes from Krusty the Clown on a Simpsons episode in the mid-1990s. I kid you not, Krusty the Clown is the originator of, I say the quiet parts out loud. I think we'd all agree this morning that it's best not to go looking for wisdom in a Simpsons episode. (laughs) Or from a character named Krusty the Clown. We don't need the Simpsons to tell us that's probably not wise. Thousands of years ago, the teacher tells us, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Know which is which, choose wisely is what the teacher calls us to do. We could spend all morning uh, just in this poem. I would love to, because I love Hebrew poetry. Let's pick apart every one of the opposites. Let's see how they're used and other sections of scripture. Um, But sadly, we don't have that much time. If I go over, Daniel will rush me. So let's take a look at a couple more things that need to be addressed in this poem though. Uh, In verse three, the poem tells us there's a time to kill In verse 8, it says that there is a time to hate and even a time to make war. But you and I live in a culture where none of those three things are okay. They are not seen as good. They are seen as an enemy. So how then can the teacher tell us, no, there is a time and a season for these things? And so I would just ask a question collectively this morning of all of us, aren't there systems in the world that you and I hate? When we think of human trafficking in the world, isn't that a system that we hate with a godly hatred? Isn't that a system that we want to make war against and cheer on the FBI and other agencies that work to tear those things down? I'm afraid sometimes in our culture, it shapes us to see these things as always bad, and they are not. We need to be reset by the teacher who says, there is a time and a season. Choose wisely. There's a time and a season that we should hate the sin in our own life that causes us to make bad choices, to harm others, to destroy relationships. And we ask for God's help in putting the old man to death. There is a time and a season for even these things. Point number two if you're an outline person, you're following along this morning, what's the point? This is the question asked in verse 9, and the teacher is going to give us two answers to this. Verse 9 says, what gain has the worker from all his toil? This is rhetorical, because he's going to answer it for us twice. But this is another moment where you and I read this, and there's a tendency here, really briefly, to lapse back into our cynicism, yeah, God, what is the point? If you control all the times and all the seasons and all these things come and go and there's not a whole lot I can do about it, then what is the point? The teacher takes a brief aside before he gives us the answer. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. It kind of wrecks you and I looking at that cynically, right? Like he he just takes a moment and says, no, no, before you go down that path, let's reorient our heart and minds and attitude towards work and toil. What gain has the worker from his toil? God has made everything beautiful in its time. God who directs these seasons, who calls us to choose wisely how we operate in them. God makes these things beautiful. He goes on, also he has put eternity into man's hearts. Let's pause really quickly. There is a great mission book that I would recommend to you. Um, It's called Eternity in Their Hearts. It's really easy to go find the title of it on Amazon. Uh, This missionary writes that this verse in Ecclesiastes shows something universal, eternity that God has given to all mankind. And it gives an easy touch point when we're talking to other humans to find something in culture or conversation that links back to the gospel. And so knowing that God has placed something in all man, we should look for those as windows to be able to share Jesus and the gospel. So it's a great book, I would commend to you to go read it. But knowing that God has done this, it goes on to say, yet so that, he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Just a really quick, funny aside. When I was in seminary working on my doctorate degree, I was under Dr. Chip McDaniel, who many of y'all know. Um, Yet so that, is just a weird expression, right? Like where in the world did this come from? So I set out to explain what it means. And so much has been written on this one verse that I could write a 42-page paper plus bibliography on three Hebrew words. And I concluded the best thing to do is simply to translate them with the English, yet, so, and that. That was it. That's all I got. So Dr. McDaniel looks at me after he reads this paper. I got a good grade, thank the Lord. And he says, do you think maybe this was chasing after the wind? I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It sure was, but I got the grade and that's what mattered at the time. Uh, Notice what comes after this. This is important. He, meaning mankind, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There is a limitation placed on mankind by God that we read about in Ecclesiastes 3.11. This is not the only one. This is common in the Old Testament. When mankind felt that they could build their way to God at the Tower of Babel, God confused their languages. He limited humans from thinking that they could build their way to him. He limited lifespan to 120 years in the book of Genesis. And then he comes back in Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses, the man of God. And he says, man's years will be 70, 80 if they are strong. Now, the point of Psalm 90, go read it this afternoon. It's a wonderful psalm. The point of Psalm 90 is the middle verse that says, Lord, teach us to number our days. If we have a limited time, God teaches us to be wise with our limited time. So God has made everything beautiful in its time and he has limited mankind in some way that we can't try to know the biggest of the big pictures. We know the times and the seasons that we're called to live in. If we go to verse 12, he's finally going to answer his question. We had, to, we had to go on this aside with the teacher for a moment to reorient our hearts and our attitude. So to the question, what gain has the worker from all his toil? The teacher says, I perceived, I know, in some of your English versions, that there is nothing better For them to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's good gift to man. So what's the point to all the work? The first answer is enjoy your work. That's the first answer. You say, well, what does that mean? What, what does everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his work? This is God's gift. What does that mean? So college students used to come into my Old Testament class. I would, I would draw the short straw sometimes, and I had to teach a 7 a.m. Old Testament class. Everybody can groan. It's okay. College students would come in, and they would tear open a little package of kale chips, and they would have water or kombucha or something that they thought was healthy, And I would go, what is wrong with you? 7 a.m. in Old Testament is not the time for kale, chips, and water. This is the time for Pop-Tarts and Mountain Dew. (laughs) And students would go, but Dr. Lassiter, don't you know that every time you eat the chemicals in a Pop-Tart, it takes five minutes off your life? Wait till you get to Ecclesiastes, because your world is going to be rocked. (laughs) The teacher says that if you are given the option of kale chips or chocolate cake, you pick the chocolate cake. (laughs) But we can't stop there. It means no less than eat, drink, and enjoy your life. But it means so much more. Why? Because you and I know that God has made all things beautiful in their time. Eating and enjoying life is enjoying the seasons that God gives to us knowing that he makes things beautiful, knowing that he freely shares wisdom so we can choose wisely in the seasons of life. It's nothing less than a nice slice of chocolate cake, but it's so much more in awe and worship and praise of a creator that has given us all of this as a good gift. The teacher's gonna go on again and he's gonna give us a second answer after verses 12 and 13 to our question, what gain has the worker from his toll? Notice he starts out verse 14 the exact same way. He's repeating what he has just done in verse 12. I perceived that. Again, some of your English versions will say, I know that. Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added And nothing can be taken away. It's the the very first part of this that's so interesting to you and I. The teacher tells us that whatever God does, that's what endures forever. This is the second answer to that question, what gain is there? The gain is what God has done. Again, this is really good Old Testament theology, not that we would expect any less. Psalm 127 says that unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless God makes it endure, it doesn't really endure. Psalm 90 that we mentioned just a moment ago, the community asks the Lord in the last couple of verses of Psalm 90 to establish The work of their hands. The community understands that if it's going to endure, it must be God that has done it. I love this last part of this. Why? So that people fear before him. And most of the time you and I read that and we think of fear as uh, horror and danger and something to be feared like God is in heaven and he is just waiting for the chance to get rid of us. I got to fear God. Well, certainly God has the power to take us out, but the fear of the Lord is so much more in the old Testament, right? We, we think of Proverbs chapter one, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And so, yeah, there's a scary fear there, but there's a reverent fear. There's an awe-inspiring fear. Uh, many times, uh, if you've been at North Wake for a while, you've heard us mention a scholar named Michael Reeves. He wrote a great book called Delighting on the Trinity. Everyone should go read it. Uh, but if you would like to know more about the fear of the Lord, he's actually written two books on this topic. Um, one is called What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? And the other is called Fear and Trembling. Um, they are great works where he goes and he exegetically digs into Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and wisdom in the Old Testament, and he helps you and I understand uh, the fear of the Lord. And so I would commend that to you this morning. Go find those books and read them. He also has YouTube talks, so if you're not a book person, you can go watch it. Um, Our passage this morning comes to an almost mind-bending statement. In verse 15. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Um, That's a very normal word in the Old Testament. It also means to pursue. So if some of your English versions say, God seeks what has been pursued. That's very normal understanding of that word as well. And so you and I look at this and we go, what? what? What has been, already will be, is, huh? What the teacher is doing here, I believe, is as best he can in human words, he's concluding and giving us God's perspective on the times and the seasons that for you and I come and go between birth and death. And he's helping us to see it from God's point of view. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. God is the one who seeks and pursues. Uh, I turned to a couple of Old Testament scholars on this, uh, Craig Bartholomew and Thomas Kruger. And they explain this last verse, especially that God's seeking what is pursued That it is poetically referring to God making things happen again and again. The created order that He has built into the world. The times and seasons that you and I live in. This is a quote from Craig Bartholomew on this. He says, in other words, the order that God has put into creation and sustains makes a way that there is always a fitting time and place for our activities. So in the broad scope of Ecclesiastes, what wisdom does this passage of Scripture give to us? It tells us that everything has a time and a season, and that you and I should choose wisely how we live through those times and seasons. It tells us that there is a point to the work and toll that you and I do under the sun. What's the point? God is the one who makes things beautiful. And because of that, we should enjoy our work, our food, and our drink. Lastly, it tells us that even though you and I bear the responsibility of making wise choices, and enjoying life, don't ever forget that it is God alone who sets these seasons in place and sustains the order of the world. I was having a conversation uh, with one of the other elders about this, and uh, he commented that Oftentimes we praise God for the beauty that we find in creation, the blessing of relationships, even his revealed word. I'm so thankful that I have scripture to know God. It made me think of like a beautiful sunset, right? When was the last time that you saw an absolutely beautiful sunset and you thought, man, I wish I could have a picture of this or a portrait or a painting because it just speaks to the awesomeness of our creator. Ecclesiastes, the book and the teacher, actually calls us to something more profound than that. The timing, the repetition, the order of the world itself is beautiful to behold and appreciate and praise God for. Births and deaths. And everything in between are a part of God's chronological masterpiece, lived in time. And that's not something that we can capture on a canvas, as beautiful as it might be. It has to be lived out in sequence, as creatures under the sun, choosing wisely, and always looking to God who makes things beautiful. In just a moment, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in worship. And uh, their first song is a, a great song. I just want to encourage you as they're playing that, take a few moments in your seat and just be very contemplative about what Ecclesiastes 3 calls us to this morning. Are you in a time or season where maybe you're not making the most wise choices? We all have those times and seasons. If the Holy Spirit's impressing that on you this morning, then take a moment to talk to God. Ask Him to freely give you wisdom. We know that God does. This is an attribute of Himself that He freely shares with all of us. Ask Him to help you make wise choices. Perhaps, like me, you tend to view these things and all of life with a bit of cynicism. And you think, meh. Maybe you need an attitude reorientation that God is the one who makes all things beautiful and that our lives that he has given us is meant to be enjoyed. And so if that's the case, I would say take a few moments this morning and talk to the Lord about that. And if nothing else, let's take a few moments together as we worship with the worship team to praise God and thank him for the chronological life that he's given us the times and the seasons to be lived out, the beauty and the wisdom in enjoying that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your good word to us. God, help us now. Impress on us by your Holy Spirit areas that we need to love you better, trust you more, enjoy the life that you have given us. Make wise choices. Thank you, Father.